0: What is, a what is up, Bitcoiners? Welcome back to another episode of the Bitcoin Magazine podcast. I just got off with Nick, a founding partner at Bitcoin Reserves, which is an awesome full stack Bitcoin exchange based out of Europe. It's really awesome to hear Nick talk about his journey, like trying to build businesses in the Bitcoin space and how it took him around the world and how it helped him kind of understand what's it going to be to have a stable business that enables and helps the most people in Bitcoin. And I think that's what he's building at Bitcoin Reserves. Again, Bitcoiners are always looking at companies like Coinbase and Gemini and are like, why are you just adding so many shit coins and Why are you not focusing on Bitcoin? Bitcoin Reserve is part of this new breed of Bitcoin on ramps that are focused on Bitcoin. They're going deep on Bitcoin and they are trying to put in cutting edge technology involved in Bitcoin. So um, they are working closely with Blockstream. They're part of Liquid. They are doing a lot of things that are going to continue to help them integrate the cutting-edge Bitcoin technology into their Bitcoin-only services. So check out Bitcoin Reserve. Enjoy this podcast with Nick. We talk a lot about what it takes to build a business in the Bitcoin space, and I think you're going to really enjoy this one. Peace. (laughs) Bitcoiners, I am sitting across from Nick Oryevsky, a partner at Bitcoin Reserve, a really awesome Bitcoin-only company building out financial services in Europe. And I'm really excited to get to know Nick. We're just meeting uh, today and get to learn a little bit more about Bitcoin reserves and the future of Bitcoin Bitcoin financial services, especially in Europe. Uh, but you know, not limited to that by any means. Uh, Nick has a long history in the Bitcoin space, so I'm excited to just jump into it. Nick, welcome to the Bitcoin Magazine podcast.
1: Thanks very much for having me on. I'm a big fan.
0: So, Nick, I guess, uh, you know, tell me a little bit more about yourself. You've been in the Bitcoin crypto space for a long time. You know, give us the background.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I have talked about this at a uh, uh, quite to an extent on some of the previous shows. So I'll try to keep it as brief as possible. But my journey started back in 2012, where I come from a finance and economics background and Bitcoin was coming across my lab first and foremost as uh, really an opportunity to get familiar with the investment vehicle itself. So I haven't really, uh, how do I put it? Um, I haven't really, had an efficacy for the technology, I would say, until a later time in my lead journey. Beginning with the markets themselves, really what enthralled me about Bitcoin is that, unlike most other financial instruments, uh, you don't have access, you have access to layer two technology, Oh, sorry, uh, the order book, if you will, order flow. And that's something that's not present in, well, traditional markets, unless you have the Bloomberg terminal, for example, which you have to pay an arm and a leg for. So my ability to see this type of information really got me curious from a trading perspective. I thought that I could construct various strategies and be able to get an edge of the market at that time. I grew to realize that even having that information was perhaps not sufficient to generates the returns that i was expecting originally and that thrust me into researching more about what bitcoin truly meant and what it was that's when i took a deep dive and started to go into the white paper itself and i became aware of the implications that it has socially as well as economically being a transfer of value through time and an ability to truly revolutionize i would say our economic system going from a gold standard, dropping that to fiat currency. It's one of those transitions that I see being very prominent, especially in today's age. But I'll get to that in just a little bit. Shortly after discovering Bitcoin for what it truly was, I think now it's starting to be around 2013, 2014, I started to travel around and get familiar with people in the ecosystem as well. I went to various different meetups. At this time, I was living in North America. So it was very easy to access a lot of the venues that were there. And the majority of the venues were popping up in the United States at that time. That's when I had the pleasure of meeting Paul Pui from Airbits. Uh, now I believe they're called Edge. And I got a conversation going with him and <laughs> I connected on a, on a level that was very different than I connect with most people, I would say, in the quote unquote real world. It was a lot of talk about libertarian views, about how our current financial system is flawed and what Bitcoin can truly do to change that. And then being a company that was trying to build a user-friendly interface for Bitcoin beginners, it uh, caught my attention. So I joined their team and I worked with them for almost two years before moving out on my own. After that, I moved to Vancouver. I got married and that is when I became interested in the background of all of the infrastructure that is built on top of Bitcoin, particularly when it comes to trading. So through my career, as I'm all doing this, of course, you know, I'm trading on the side and predominantly I am taking a mentality of a short-term approach, a short-term trader, right? So from that, I was able to gain some capital. But really, I started to understand that what matters significantly is to try to get a framework around how the back end works. So how do the exchanges function? What do they do in terms of market making and day-to-day activities? How do they actually make money? Are they perhaps making money off of my follies? Uh, You know, the liquidation engine that goes (laughs) hand in hand with this particular nuance. And as I started to dive deeper and deeper into this topic, there came some opportunities with actually working with a Bitcoin exchange at that time. That's when I met my current partner at Bitcoin Reserve, Yuri, and we started a small exchange out of Vancouver. We grew in about a year or so to Canada's second largest exchange at that time by volume, which honestly didn't really mean much, but it provided a phenomenal learning experience for me into understanding what all requirements there are in order to make sure that you have a legitimately functioning business in an area where regulation is well unknown for the most part. Worked there for about a year. um, And there was this one time where it came to my desk, a notice from the regulators there in Canada. And we forwarded that over to our KYC AML lawyer at that time At the end of the day, once she read the documentation and what we were currently working on, she said, okay, you know what, here are a couple of options that I foresee happening in the next five to 10 years. She said, great, lay lay it on us. And she said something to the following. Because there is nothing that is really here that dictates how you need to operate your business, but you are operating it in such a way that you're trying to be as compliant as possible. There is no way to marry these two things. So because Canada doesn't have grandfathering law uh, with regards to the financial regulations, essentially what that means is in five to 10 years, I can't guarantee that what you're doing right now will not land you in jail in that time. That's something that I was not too keen on hearing, Nora was my partner. And this was with a fully KYC compliant uh, exchange, right? Uh, just because there's some of the checks and balances that were simply not there at that time, um, it was very difficult for us to move forward with that project. So we parted ways. Um, and then I worked for a FinTech startup accelerator that focused on blockchain technologies. I met uh, some very interesting individuals, uh, some people that are developing technologies in the space, layer two tech. Lightning, that kind of thing. And there, I really wanted to draw my focus back to my roots, right? And that was specifically with economics and finance and uh, money management. So having worked there, I believe, for maybe seven or eight months, it was now coming on the year of 2016, late 2016, I got together with a couple of colleagues out of California. They were ex Goldman Sachs guys um, that I met through my travels. And we decided to look for a jurisdiction in which we can operate a business long-term. Because again, in Canada, regulations were unclear, clear, well, non-existent at that time. And we were trying to form something that would stand the test of time. So we decided to look all over the world. We looked at Isle of Man, we looked at Singapore, we looked at Malta, we looked at Estonia with Liechtenstein. Anyways, we ended up settling on Liechtenstein as a jurisdiction because they had a very clear directive to move forward with how Bitcoin businesses would operate. At that time, uh, Thomas Nigeli, who runs Nigeli Law, was in the middle of authoring the Bitcoin Act. And we happened to get together and get an understanding of what the, that those requirements were going to be. So we started an AIF, which is an alternative investment fund uh, that's, hence, crypto value capital, AG. And we launched this as an offering to be able to get high net worth individuals uh, participating in the Bitcoin ecosystem. Now. The problem with that is it took almost eight months to a year to set up everything that was needed in that jurisdiction, and it was quite a, an expensive endeavor, first and foremost, if anybody's familiar with it But outside of that, it was also very stringent in what we can do. Now, fast forward, it's about 2017, roughly middle of 2017, and the fund launches. Well, the way that the AAFs are structured in Liechtenstein at that time, specifically to Bitcoin businesses, you were only allowed to do long-only fund. So what that means for everybody out there that's listening, long-only is essentially you can just buy and hold. That's it. Um, Rebalancing in terms of being able to sell parts of the portfolio to new requirements could only happen every quarter. And this was not a very appealing offer at that time as the ICO craze started to hit. Ethereum was based in Switzerland and kind of Crypto Valley ecosystem out of Zoom. So people were way more interested in something like that that could make them what they thought would be absurd gains. Uh, They didn't understand that the rug would eventually get pulled, but uh, that's a story for another time. And as a result, we ended up running the business up until late 2017, early 2018, when the crypto winter hit. So as you can imagine, a long only fun during the crypto winter is probably not the most advantageous thing. So therein uh, lay my experience with the official side of money management. From that point on, you know, I kind of stepped back. I said, okay, I need to really investigate what it is that I'm here for, why I'm doing the things that I'm doing. And I need to focus on not only something that I think can help other people um, participate and also be able to utilize this technology, but also I need to be able to, well, Live life and generate an income, if you will, because all of these ventures they cost me more money than they ever made. Right? Everything was everything that I was made for trading was essentially put into the companies to build them up and everything else. So that's when I got in touch with Yuri and we started brainstorming. At that time, Yuri was working at a brokerage firm out of Vancouver. And we decided that uh, as that brokerage firm was starting to close uh, its doors and move into different areas, which is outside of Bitcoin, shitcoins, and all of the other things, um, he didn't really like the direction in which that was going. And we decided to focus on a market agnostic approach, and that is brokerage, which means that you can make money if the market goes up or if the market goes down, because you're simply facilitating trade between two parties. And that was the day that Bitcoin Reserve was formed. Uh, Officially at that time, the company was called Layer 2 Brokers OU. Um, We incorporated in Estonia because it was one of the jurisdictions that I had previously investigated that had clear and written rules for how to operate a company. And again, longevity is really the underlying premise of all of the businesses that uh, I've been trying to build. with that, we leapt into the OTC space for brokerage. We ran that, we started in uh, late 2018, early 2019. And we started with OTC brokerage for high net worth individuals for two years, um, roughly speaking. And then after the two-year mark, we decided to open ourselves up to the retail market. And that is when flash trade was born. Um, flash trade is the ability for people to purchase Bitcoin very quickly, automatically through our platform. Um, with basically just a couple of clicks, and that was launched on June twenty second. So forgive me for being a bit long winded, but um, that is my background and how I came to be where I am today. So I'm happy to take any questions. No, I mean I, I I appreciate it. You made my life a lot easier. You
0: just kind of hit on like my first four questions all in one tirade without me even having to jump in whatsoever. Uh, a key theme here is like you are an entrepreneur, you are looking for you know, I guess, certainty and security and being able to run a business without potentially jeopardizing your freedom, right? That's like, ultimately your goal. And hence why, you know, throughout kind of like this crazy crypto journey, um, and Bitcoin journey for yourself, you know, you've always kind of like seeked out these jurisdictions, where there's some clarity at all, um, the interesting thing is, like, obviously, you were very early and there was pretty much no clarity any, anywhere. And it seems like we're kind of going through this evolutionary process where finally clarity, opinions, wrong or right, are starting to form. You know, we're seeing Ukraine, we're seeing Panama, we're seeing obviously El Salvador being the biggest experiment of all. I'm kind of curious, like, from this perspective of like, you know, regulatory clarity and Bitcoin, like, Uh, where are we today and how is that kind of evolution kind of
1: gone? Yeah, I would focus and speak about the necessity for regulation and the opposition to it as well. So me being a libertarian at heart and truly focusing on what it means to have financial sovereignty, which I believe Bitcoin is the best vehicle for, it is in direct contradiction when you talk about regulation. And it's a very detailed question that is very hard to answer on the, with a the broad stroke, but I'll give it my best attempt, in that it all comes down to balance. So in the ideal world, what you would have is you would have regulators that are communicating with a party of individuals that are familiar with the ecosystem, that understand both the needs of the users as well as the viability of the technology itself and to be able to present their views and opinions to the regulators and them have feedback, which then they create certain regulatory frameworks for the operation of these types of businesses and ecosystems. Unfortunately, that is not how the world operates. Usually regulators take a look at what has happened in the past from a legacy perspective and other financial instruments, and they slap those same requirements willy-nilly and adopt them into the Bitcoin ecosystem which rubs a lot of people the wrong way, myself included, because it misses on the biggest aspect of what Bitcoin can be. And that is true financial sovereignty for individuals. So what we're seeing right now is a coming together of those two groups in certain jurisdictions where you do actually have governments taking cue from educated pools of thought capital and then adopting that framework into their current locale, El Salvador being a great example. Um, So as this continues to evolve, I do believe that we are on the right path. The downside that I see in the merger of these two ecosystems, legacy regulation, and if you will, Bitcoin friendly regulation, is that inevitably, even if a country moves forward with the best framework that you can imagine that takes into consideration all of the things that I spoke about in terms of understanding the technical aspect of it and the client side, there will be other countries that prevent them from truly pushing this forward and into a new sphere. I'm not sure if you heard, but the central bank currently slapped the wrist of El Salvador uh, due to what they're currently doing with their adoption of Bitcoin. And Which I central first... bank, the Fed? no uh the the world bank okay gotcha of course naturally and as a result you are well they are whoever you want to label it creating this tension between these two groups and inevitably this is part and parcel of the ecosystem as a whole it's always going to be contentious to a certain degree it is a disruptive technology on the one hand And on the other, it is striving for some type of common ground because without that common ground, it's going to be difficult to truly create mass adoption in the Bitcoin ecosystem. So I hope that answers the question in a a roundabout fashion.
0: No, I mean, I I think it's uh, a very fair way, right? And this is probably one of the biggest tensions in Bitcoin today you know, it's really coming up front. Um, I'm, I'm kind of curious, like, have you looked into Ukraine's law? I mean, I know you are, um, you know, very aware of what's happening in Europe. Um, what's your take on that? Um, you know, we've kind of published translations on Bitcoin magazine, you know, people seem to think that this is more of like a bit licensed more than it is like an El Salvador type situation. I'm kind of
1: curious what your thoughts are. I've been so busy; I haven't had the time to take a deep dive into their regulation. But from what I gathered on the surface, it is not all the way there with hitting all of the points that are necessary to drive adoption within their country. I think because they are part of the EU, they are playing the middle ground, and it's always difficult when you have the bodies of the IMF and other regulatory constituents breathing down your neck and when you want to push forward an initiative like this so they found a common ground whether that common ground truly drives people to come and construct businesses off of it I'm not sure I will have to do more research into it I'm quite excited by the opportunity there it's just uh, time will tell whether it manifests into anything real.
0: All right, Bitcoiners, I want to tell you about our newest sponsor. This show is brought to you by Ledin.io. I have been super, super impressed with the guys over at Ledin. I've actually known the co-founders, Adam and Mauricio, for a very long time. I've had the pleasure to watch them build Ledin up from a tiny, tiny startup to now a super impressive institutional grade Bitcoin and crypto lender. Y'all, I'm so impressed with these guys. They are offering some of the best rates out there. I don't think anyone even comes close to touching them. You can get 6.1% APY on your first two Bitcoin that you deposit into lead in interest accounts, and you can get 8.5% US on USDC deposits. I mean- I know all the competitors. They're not even close. If you're going to put your crypto and your Bitcoin into an interest account, Ledin is by far the best. And on top of that, like I said, these guys are hardcore Bitcoiners, and they know the products and the services that Bitcoiners want and appreciate. They come up with B2X. It allows you to put your Bitcoin in they leverage it up, and you can, with one click of the mouse, get twice the exposure to Bitcoin. So if you're super bullish, Ledin has you covered with a super, super easy way to get leverage with B2X. And then on top of that, they know that Bitcoiners care about your reserves. They know that Bitcoiners don't like under-reserved and not full-reserved financial institutions. So they are pushing the frontier in transparency in the digital asset lending space. And they are the first digital asset lender to do a full proof of reserves and proof of attestation through a Mariano LLC, a public accounting firm. So the Ledin guys, they know what Bitcoin is like. They are legit. I encourage you guys to check them out. Do your own research and go to Letten.io. That is L-E-D-N.io
2: and learn more. Yo, what is going on, plebs? We're going to take a break from our programming to tell you about the resurrection of our print magazine, starting with the El Salvador issue. Starting this fall, Bitcoin Magazine will be available on newsstands nationwide and at retail stores such as Barnes & Noble. Don't want to get off your couch, though? No problem. You can also go to store.bitcoinmagazine.com. So skip the line and get each issue shipped directly to your front door with our annual subscription. I'm talking four issues a year that contain exclusive interviews and profiles with leading Bitcoiners, actionable insights on the state of the market, breaking news and cultural trends, along with powerful photos and artwork from the best artists in the world. Subscribe today and get 21% off using code podcast at checkout. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T, podcast at checkout.
0: So I guess let's talk about this idea of having a situation that is, you know, gives you enough clarity that you can build a business off of it, right? Um, Because this is a very key part of like this whole Bitcoin game. Um, And then after that, I'll definitely want to dive into, you know, what Bitcoin Reserve is doing, especially to service, you know, Bitcoin only in Europe. But I'm just, I'm very interested in your take here because again, it sounds like it's been a strong theme throughout your journey.
1: Yeah. Uh, Sorry, can you, can you rephrase the question? Uh,
0: I guess like, you know, uh, in terms of like, as an entrepreneur, like what's most important to like select a jurisdiction and build a business?
1: Uh, okay. So for me, one of the most important things is to have a direct line of communication with the major constituents of that particular jurisdiction. That is why I've seen success in a lot of the smaller nations to be able to conduct operations. The reason being is because you can create a direct channel both to the banking infrastructure and the representatives that are there to the regulators as well as to other government officials and you can openly talk and discuss about what your plans are going to be and then have them take a look and understand whether or not that's something feasible within their ecosystem I have a little story here when we were setting up the AIF in Liechtenstein and for all those who don't know Liechtenstein is a very small nation uh, that is essentially within Switzerland and it's a very close knit community of business entrepreneurs, as well as just the social constructs within it. So we get there, you know, we are sitting, I think it's a, all of us are maybe about six or seven people, including the law firm, as well as the fiduciaries that are there. And we're talking about the project, how, what we want to build, and how we want to move forward with it. And I remember distinctly Thomas going, you know what? This, this all sounds great but I don't really know if the regulators are gonna be okay with this. We have to make sure that they are going to appreciate what we're doing and it's going to align with their you know, So we look at each other and go, okay, you know, here we go. We're used to how North America operates. If you're dealing with any of the regulators there, you're going to send a letter and then that letter is gonna get a response in three to four weeks, a month, if you're lucky, you're gonna get on a phone call in two and forget about a face-to-face meeting. So. We look at each other and we go, listen, you know, Thomas, that sounds great and we'd love to do this, but we are only here for two and a half weeks. Like, is, is, is that going to be enough time? And he just joking. like, guys, no problem. He's a friend of my cousin. We'll get a meeting this Friday. It was Wednesday. So we were able to set up that meeting and have that conversation, which speaks exactly to the point that I was making. And you are able to have direct lines of communication with the constituents. That are important to set up these businesses so as an entrepreneur those are the things that i look first and foremost specifically when it comes to bitcoin and that being those communication channels a jurisdiction where the amount of people who have the final say on various directives is rather limited and close and as a result you can get things done a lot faster and more efficiently
0: yeah i mean i think that makes a lot of sense and uh It just like makes me think of like Coinbase and them and Brian Armstrong kind of complaining on Twitter about the treatment that they've received from the SEC in the US, you know, not to say, you know, endorse anything that they're doing, but uh, just to point out that uh, it's probably night and day in a smaller jurisdiction, whereas, you know, in the US, even a public company can't get a response from the SEC. Um, So... Uh, let's talk about uh, Bitcoin Reserve. You know, obviously, building out Bitcoin-only services in Europe. I, you know, Europe is strangely one of those places that, from a regulatory perspective, it's kind of challenging to operate. And you know, there hasn't really been super dominant um, businesses, but you know, there have been a lot of you know small success stories as well. Uh, I'm very interested to hear about how you 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 think about uh, the geography.
1: Well, the geography of Europe is clearly very diverse. And- There's a lot of social constructs to take into consideration and a lot of regulatory frameworks as well, which is why the area is such a challenge for businesses to penetrate fully. One of the reasons why we decided to enter into this market, of course, outside of the opportunity of perhaps having a first mover advantage in the Bitcoin-only space uh, within a certain framework, there's a lot of Bitcoin businesses that have been built up, but none yet have had the ability to take a holistic approach to Europe. So with that being said, these challenges, in my opinion, are actually what excite me about Europe and why we decided, another reason why we decided to launch the jurisdiction, because if you are able to communicate a value proposition that resonates with many different types of individuals, that's when you know you found the golden golden goose, if you will, and A lot of people that try to do marketing or try to enter into a space, they think, okay, we're just going to focus on the demographics, you know, age group, and then we're going to launch in a heavy market campaign and push this down their throats.
2: Unfortunately,
1: that's not the approach for Bitcoin, nor is it really a valued approach in my opinion. But the key here is to be able to understand why people get into Bitcoin in the first place. There's no way that you can force a conversation about financial sovereignty onto onto somebody who is not ready to enter into something of that headspace. So it's very much about educating the population and those individuals about the opportunities and then naturally they will come into the Bitcoin ecosystem as a result. So for us, the challenge of finding how that message resonates within the different geographies is one that is going to be very rewarding when we do finally crack that puzzle, but also one that's going to be extremely gratifying as well. I think from a personal perspective, for myself at least, the ability to have control over my own finances is something that is incredibly important in this day and age, especially with where CBDCs are going and the direction of some of the other government initiatives. This particular aspect is so critical for us to communicate to the rest of the world, And if we are able to resonate with the population, I think there's gonna be great success in that particular jurisdiction. When it comes to the regulatory side of things, the way that we have chosen our jurisdiction, it does allow us to work not only in Europe, but in other areas of the world as well. We do have to tweak some of the compliance logistics, if you will, of the business itself, which is why for the time being, we have segregated flash trade for the European zone. really driven all our focus there. Um, But we do expect this regulation to continue to evolve, uh, particularly in Estonia. And whether that is going to limit the playing field or not, I can't say, but we are actively looking at ways to be able to provide what is necessary from the regulatory standpoint, but also be able to retain what we truly believe a service should be within the Bitcoin ecosystem. And that's one that favors information security As well as privacy and those two regulation and privacy are an oxymoron at times, but I urge people to dive deeper into how various institutions do keep track of your information and at what point they are. There, there is a compulsion to share this information with the regulators, Uh, I won't dive too far deeper into that suffice it to say, it is one of the key aspects that I look for when looking for an exchange whether it's kyc or whether it's distributed.
0: Awesome. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about, um, you know, uh, Bitcoin Reserve and uh, the feature set and kind of what you're doing in particular to uh, try to, you know, uh, instantiate those values as much as possible?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So Bitcoin Reserve, we have two services. one is Flash Trade, which allows people to purchase Bitcoin up to fifty thousand dollars or at fifty thousand euro, and then we have Concierge, which is anything above that really our focus is to be able to provide value to the consumer in such a way that the entire process is very streamlined. Both our concierge service as well as our flash trade aims to have a humanistic UI approach or UX design, very similar to how Apple likes to create their uh, technology in that when a person uses it, it's very intuitive. So a lot of individuals that come into this space, they already have had a very steep learning curve to get into Bitcoin first and foremost like I said, from the areas of financial sovereignty to some of the libertarian ideas and everything else that goes on top of that, it can be at times overwhelming. So when you're having somebody coming in that doesn't have the experience in the finance sector, for example, from trading, when you're looking at the screen where you have the bid and depth and you have all of these order types, it can be overwhelming. So our main goal is to eliminate that friction as much as possible through the experience. On the flip side with concierge, what we're trying to do is make the process of education above and beyond that first purchase easy. So we have a publication that is called Bitcoin Reserve Journal as well. And there we have contributing information specifically for Bitcoin analysis as well as other areas, not particularly technical analysis, but on the technology itself and some of the engineering ecosystems that can provide value to high net worth individuals who are looking to get a deeper dive on what the technology actually is. And during our involvement with the clients as well, we're very open to answering any kind of questions and being able to facilitate in the most fluid experience that we can for the purchase and the sale of Bitcoin through that particular product. Now, outside of UI UX, uh, um, obviously, you know, buy-sell is the basic core feature. We really believe in simplicity. So we are not unique and I'll put it out there in terms of the core offering. However, what we're trying to do is establish that foothold and then build off of it. And that's where the entire name of the company originally came to being, and that's Layer 2 Brokers. We're very focused on what Layer 2 Technologies can facilitate within our own product offering, as well as within the ecosystem at large. So if you guys are familiar with Blockstream and their Liquid Network, see um, Lightning's their implementation, LNURL, which is uh, one of the other things that is currently being built in the ecosystem, Lightning in general, there are opportunities to be able to take these kinds of products and optimize the service that we already have and build in interesting functionalities that expand into other areas uh, such as DCA, such as into- affiliate programs and how those individuals get paid, as well as also what we like to call kind of the auto sell features and things of that nature. So we're constantly evolving what the product offer is, but we're not like the typical Bitcoin company where you have a whole bunch of engineers that are just pushing technology into the stack and throwing it out there to see what sticks we take somewhat different approach in that we look at what opportunities there are in the market and particularly what value we can bring to the users and then try to find a technology that fits that. So instead of going from technology to use case, we try to find that use case and then get the technology and the partners in line to be able to facilitate in that uh, really pleasurable, efficient, and smooth experience for the user.
0: That makes a lot of sense, and uh, I mean, I agree. I I think that a lot of exchanges, especially in twenty seventeen, were pushed into creating a brokerage like experience, and that is antithetical. And you know, the uh, it just is it just doesn't make sense for getting most people on board. If you think about the average person, you know, the the at best, you know, some sort of uh some sort of e banking or neo uh, neo banking app. Is like the closest thing that they have to uh, to a brokerage account. So I think modeling more like that makes a lot of sense. I'm very pleased with the the pro, you know kind of the uh, like the cash apps, the strikes, and you know kind of that that uh, movement towards embracing that kind of a UX. Um, and it sounds like that's very on point with um, you know how uh, how you're trying to build out the Bitcoin reserve.
1: And as I mentioned before, UX is one of those things that can be difficult to nail down. But when you do nail it down, it has rewards that well outweigh all of the energies that are putting into it. And in the Bitcoin ecosystem, until recently, many people have been missing that.
0: I, I totally agree. And there's, there's still tremendous room for improvement. One, an, another theme that you kind of talked about, you know, being layer two brokers is this kind of idea of like, instead of going as a Bitcoin exchange, being horizontal on a lot of different tokens and stuff like that, which is a more traditional is, you know, this kind of new and emerging idea, which is like going vertical on Bitcoin. And you kind of talked a little bit about tapping into some of the block stream technologies and layer two technologies and, you know, leveraging that to to add more servicing to Bitcoin. Can you talk a little bit more about, you know, that vision and why you think that that's such a a more competitive uh, perspective in the long run?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm not going to badmouth those individuals that decide to go horizontally. I think that they can do very much as they wish, but it takes away from the core ideology that I think is very important here. And that core ideology is that the entire ecosystem as I believe it to be, and as well as we as a company is focused and centered on Bitcoin. So Bitcoin has the largest network effect Bitcoin is what is driving, in my opinion, the movement of this new financial paradigm that we have on the global scale. So to draw focus away from it, I believe, is doing a disservice not only to the company itself, but also a disservice to the ecosystem as a whole. In terms of layering on top of Bitcoin, Bitcoin also isn't perfect. And a lot of people might not want to hear that, but there are networks that are more efficient transactionally speaking than Bitcoin. However, that misses the notion that Bitcoin is meant to be this foundational work where security is paramount in terms of how proof of work happens, for example, and the distributed nature of the mining. Um, And on top of that is what's necessary to build, wherein it can increase the throughput, the transactional throughput. It can actually facilitate in smart contracts and other types of innovative technologies that you see popping up in the other areas. So with all of this, being able to layer on top of Bitcoin, in our opinion, is the quickest way to not only help the Bitcoin ecosystem as a whole, but build a truly resilient product that, once again, stands the test of time. And I could keep coming back to this notion, but when I was working at some of the other companies that I was with, it was very typical to do things in a manner that was run and done, where you put out a product or you create a relationship, and that relationship isn't expected to last more than a year because you're there to get your money, get your money out, and kind of you know go escape to an island, so to speak. Whereas here, what we're trying to do is we're trying to build something that will help people for the long term in not only just understanding what Bitcoin can do, but also in being able to provide the technology that is necessary to do it. Specific to what that technology is, uh, we are one of the federated members on the Liquid Network, so we're quite familiar with the operational ecosystem that is there, and their implementation of C Lightning has a large growing community around it as well. So by utilizing and providing our resources to that ecosystem, we feel that there are opportunities for innovation that can, I think, supersede some of the things that are being done in the alternative ecosystems, Um, let's put it that way. So one thing that is very interesting is if you are familiar with how Lightning works, In order to create a transaction from one individual to another, you both have to be technically online at the same time and create a payments channel in between, or at least have somebody that is sitting there routed to eventually to your transaction. Um, One of the things that LNURL does is optimizes that entire transactional procedure such that you can essentially collect an invoice via an email right? Uh, Your email becomes very similar to your LNURO address, and you're able to make very efficient transactions in that capacity. Well, what does that have to do, for example, with a Bitcoin brokerage? If you look at it from the position of automatic selling, wherein you send certain amount of funds uh, from your wallet, right, into our platform, and then being able to generate it on the other side with fiat... There are some creative solutions that can be done for invoicing that companies that do not accept bitcoin but for companies that do want to pay in bitcoin right and vice versa on the other side which i believe is more of an apt use case because uh, i personally don't like to spend my bitcoin <laughs> i like to hold it i prefer to send fiat and have it be converted um, the other way around so those are some of the things that are exciting for us and this is just the tip of the iceberg there's a lot of innovative products that we can build within our own technology stack, as well as kind of release out in an open source nature to the community that can benefit not only us, but everybody else as a whole.
2: Yo, my fellow Bitcoin lovers, have I got something specifically curated for you. The Deep Dive is Bitcoin Magazine's premium markets intelligence newsletter. This isn't some pay group shelling buy and sell signals. No, this is a premium Bitcoin analysis led by Dylan LeClaire and his team of analysts. They break down in an easily digestible way what is happening on-chain, in the derivatives markets, and in the greater macro backdrop context for Bitcoin. This newsletter turns volatility into a joke. So hit up members.bitcoinmagazine.com and use promo code podcast for 30% off the deep dive. That's members.bitcoinmagazine.com promo code podcast for 30% off. Divorce your pay group and learn why Bitcoin is the ultimate asset by Dylan and his team Those are stackable. So go to b.tc forward slash conference and attend the best conference in Bitcoin history. I
0: mean, I, I love that vision. Again, I love those examples. Uh, I love the idea of making it Bitcoin as liquid and interoperable with the dollar and the euro and euros and other fiat pairs. Because, you know, that's how you get the world on Bitcoin, right? Um, and you enable people to bank on Bitcoin is just make that liquidity more and more available. So uh, it's awesome to kind of hear how lightning is just going to turbocharge that. And you all are, are going to, you know, jump on, on on executing those use cases. Um, I'm interested on the, on the flip side, like to make that interplay happen, you have to have really good partnerships with, you know, fiat financial institutions. Uh, That's kind of been the bane of a lot of Bitcoin, uh, you know, exchanges and on-ramps. Can you talk about what you're doing on that side of
1: things? Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned that point. That's one of the things that we have focused on since the very beginning of the company. I have been, again, in situations where the need for, quote unquote, in the industry was called bunny hopping. You literally open up and this was, you know, back in the cowboy days where there was no regulation and you just open up bank accounts and you hoped one of them would last longer than three weeks before the client department shuts you down. Right. And so that's not a good way to do business. That also breaks the client's experience. It is something that is unstable, to say the least. So for us, it was very important to be able to build infrastructure that we could rely on consistently for larger volumes over time. And as a result, we spent an extensive portion of the first year and a half developing these relationships with various institutions. Uh, They do include banks, they do also include liquidity providers, there's various types. There's also uh, kind of liquidity aggregators that exist in terms of the dark pools and how the entire back end liquidity provision functions that was critically important for us to be able to even come out with a product first and foremost. If we didn't have that available to us, then we wouldn't engage in what we are doing right now. So we were very fortunate to have personal connections with a lot of these institutions that allowed us to get that foot in the door. Because realistically, when you're looking at any kind of financial institution, whether it be in the EU, whether it be in the United States or other areas of the world, they look at Bitcoin businesses as a gigantic red mark on their balance sheets, as well as to their compliance departments. Unfortunately, no amount of regulation, no amount of licensing, no amount of convincing can really change their thoughts on what Bitcoin is supposedly used for, right, which is money laundering, terrorist financing, which I would argue cash is, by the way, a much, much higher uh, valued vehicle for things like that. But from their perspective, it's something that always goes hand in hand with the Bitcoin business. So in order to establish those relationships, you truly need to have a very open relationship with those institutions. And that's only formed over time. And trust is not built in a day. Trust is built over a series of transactions, over a series of meetings of communications and you have to do that every single day of the week so no matter whether we are doing volume or we are not whether we have clients or we don't this is constantly ongoing in the background and we're always ensuring that we have the best possible resources from a structural standpoint available to our users to be able to conduct business moving forward um
0: i mean again uh it's such a difficult like you know, thing to balance, right, is just the Bitcoin and dealing with the the fiat system. And the funny thing here is, Bitcoin works great. It's permissionless. You can tap into it whenever you want. It's the the permissioned fiat system that you know is constantly the problem. Which just excites me so much for when the world is finally on the Bitcoin system because it's just going to unleash so much, you know, human potential and human energy and. Uh, and it's going to remove so many barriers. Uh, it's it's really exciting, and again, seeing an institution like trying to do that work for people and onboard them, you know, that's going to be one of the most important businesses in the next five to ten years.
1: We believe that as well, and you said it very perfectly. And that the uh, what is it possible without the intermediaries that are currently slowing down this entire ecosystem is something that I don't think the world can even imagine at this point. Really, when you have the opportunity to provide some type of service or some type of product to the world at large whether you're a company or an individual and then receive value back directly to you that will not only be there for you to control tomorrow and send to wherever you wish but also grow in value over time is absolutely fundamental to the evolution of humanity as a whole right now the way that the current economic system is structured with the heavy um emphasis on usury as well as also the way that the Federal Reserve is operating in North America and in other countries. It is coming to a head, in my opinion. There is going to be a decisive time where individuals will have to choose in what direction they decide to travel. And one direction I do believe has a lot of opportunity and the other one, perhaps not so much. Uh, I hope people can read between the lines in that statement. Um, I don't want to turn a positive into a negative.
0: No, I mean, uh, I do a show called FedWatch uh, on Bitcoin Magazine with Ansel Lindner, and we, we go into this in length. But I mean, I think the key fact here is that, you know, the current system that we're going towards is a world where, you know, central banks and governments, you know, distribute and allocate capital as they see fit. And. Uh, and the way that that is working presently, with like e- the infrastructure bill or the Green New Deal in the U.S., is for every three dollars um, lawmakers spend, they're expecting one dollar of growth. So, you know, what does that mean? That means like at minimum, two dollars uh, is going into their pockets straight, straight away um, as part of this process. So, um, like if that's the way that we distribute capital, you know, you can just look at you know Russia. Um, in in the 80s and in, or before that the struggle there and you know the inefficiencies of capital allocation across a uh, ecosystem and economy and you you know it's scary. it's scary to see that here and I'm really hopeful that you know Bitcoin and other um, you know things come together to uh, prevent that from being the reality for
1: most people. Yeah I mean, absolutely point right that the negative return framework that we have entered into is not only setting humanity on a path that I don't think is not just valuable to humanity as a whole, but really detrimental to innovation. Um, there are a lot of things that I see happening right now, particularly moving from the old way of interaction, monetary interaction, monetary policy to the new way with you know, modern uh, monetary theory, where you are able to the Fed. Uh, is able to directly inject liquidity into the markets themselves rather into the secondary agents such as banks and institutions. And that is a dangerous, dangerous precipice because that coupled with exactly the point that you mentioned regarding negative returns, you have an economy that is now directed solely by the individuals who are operating those institutions. And it is no longer a merit-based system where those that create the highest amount of value for the greatest amount of people succeed. Um, In fact, it is those who have the connections and can spend in particular areas and lobby various, um, let's just say groups that end up coming on top and getting the lion's share of the rewards, which is not a world that I want to see. Well, Yeah. That I, that I want to see come to, come to fruition.
0: So Nick, um, this has been a great conversation. I I'm really excited to learn more and see more from Bitcoin reserve and, you know, it's exciting to see a true Bitcoin only business, just trying to uh, make Bitcoin reliable and digestible for the masses across Europe and hopefully beyond. Um, I guess, want to give you kind of uh, a final word to, you know, tell the Bitcoin Magazine audience, you know, anything that you want to say about Bitcoin Reserve, what you're building, just close out this conversation.
1: Yeah, thanks very much for that. I, I think I will close in saying that what we are trying to achieve here is a lot bigger than us. And we hope that people join us on this journey. And that is something that can make the community as a whole grow and not just something that will make the individual who are participating in this ecosystem uh, return on their investment. So with that being said, I want to welcome everybody to come and take a look at some of the things that we are offering. We're always innovating and we are hoping that not only what we're building, but also what we plan to build will be compatible with what you ideally wanna see and if not, we're always happy for your input, as well as any kind of criticisms. Um, just shoot us on our Twitter at BTC, at uh, btcreservehq.com And uh, as well, yeah, sorry, <laughs> I messed that up. But No worries. Uh,
0: and I, I guess, Nick, uh, do you have a personal Twitter? Uh, what, can people find you uh, elsewhere? And have you done other podcasts? uh no i do
1: not have twitter i do not have social media in general linkedin is where you can find me personally um i'm not too fond of uh, the social sphere to be honest and in terms of uh yeah communicating with us it's just the best to go to our website uh, www.bitcoinreserve.com and reach us there
0: awesome um well hey thank you so much for coming on i really enjoyed this conversation like I said, I appreciate your vision a lot, and uh, I think it's the right decision, and will uh, yield a lot of uh, a lot of success in the future. And I hope that other Bitcoin businesses across the globe, you know, continue moving in this direction. So thank you for what you do, Nick. Thanks again for coming on to the show. To all the Bitcoiners out there, you can find me at Twitter because I am addicted to the the Bitcoin social sphere, uh, and I am at CK underscore Snarks. Uh, you can find Bitcoin Magazine at Bitcoin Magazine. Uh, bitcoinmagazine.com give us those five-star reviews share all of this out and uh, again uh, appreciate you for coming back on nick all right cheers